everybody. It's Kyle Rizdahl. Thanks for downloading the Corner Office podcast. Another episode for you today, as you can tell, because you're listening to it. This time, I'm talking to Manish Chandra. He's the co-founder and CEO of Poshmark. It's an app where users can buy and sell new and used fashion, clothes and handbags, shoes, all that stuff, and where people can socialize with each other while they're doing it by liking and commenting on listings and sharing the other seller's closets or profiles. Anyway, Manish Chandra came by our studios the other day to chat more about it. We're expecting you. Won't you have a seat? Ready to go to work? Manish Chandra, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Those who might not be familiar with Poshmark, give them the 30-second elevator pitch. Uh, Poshmark is a social marketplace. We make it easy to buy and sell fashion and now home decor. Oh, your brand, uh, that's interesting. Home yes. decor. That's a gutsy move. All right. So that actually goes to the next question, which is fashion can be hard, right? Because you want to see things and touch them and feel them. Same with home decor. You're going to have it in your house. You want to know what it's going to look like. How do you overcome, first of all, that obstacle of, of doing all this online? Well, two things. One is uh, we built the product um, from ground up for your mobile phone. And so that makes it very easy to communicate, share pictures, and sort of just uh, talk to each other. And second is we built it around a social model. So there's a whole community underneath Poshmark where you can ask questions, which is actually surprisingly missing in physical stores today. Mm, well, that's totally true. Uh, why or how did you decide that social was the way to go with this company? So I had started a company before called Caboodle, Caboodle uh, yeah. which was really all about a social community centered around fashion. You couldn't buy and sell, but you could share, sort of like uh, modern-day Pinterest. Okay. And um, what I discovered through that w- was that social was really the foundation for how fashion should be bought and sold. Of course, that product didn't have it. So when we started the next journey, we wanted to create a social platform, but we also wanted to make it very easy to post things and create things. So when iPhone 4 came out in 2010, Mm -hmm. we finally found a platform that was sort of the trigger. Mm -hmm. And today, you know, of course, we do everything on our phones, but seven, eight years back, it seemed like Mm -hmm. uh, a big leap of faith. There's no small irony in me asking this question, wearing as I am a set of khakis, and I don't even know what shirt I have on today. Uh, why and where did fashion come from for you? I mean, you're, you're naturally dressed, but, <laughs> but where did that come from? Uh, well, I spent the first 15 years of my life uh, in technology. Yeah. I built databases, database software. I was part of a couple of public companies. And uh, as we were remodeling our home in 2003, 2004, I started to realize that the process of shopping for the products was really hard. And from there started my first company, Caboodle. Uh, And we quickly found that the product market fit was highest in fashion. That company was acquired by Hearst, spent a couple of years working with a lot of the Hearst magazines, Cosmopolitan, Seventeen, Marie Claire. And so in those five years, I sort of had the proverbial 10,000 hours of uh, of fashion experience and sort of got really uh, excited about fashion and community. That community then. Um, Talk to me about how, this is a straight in your face question, how do you make money off your community? Uh, We simply partner with them. So we take 20% of every transaction uh, that happens on the platform, and they keep 80%. Uh, For smaller transactions, $15 and over, we have a fixed fee, $295. And that's it. That's all in. We don't have any marketing costs. There's no other sort Mm. of overhead. It includes credit card processing, et cetera. And the buyer pays for shipping. So it's a fairly simple model. Uh, to be clear, these are 
uh, at least for for the start of this company, these were used clothes, people emptying out their closets. Uh, yes. Uh, even today, 70% of the clothing is uh, is used, 30% is new, and they're sold by our 5 million sellers who are really everyday people who decided to sort of engage in this uh, process of buying and selling. Uh, I read somewhere that you credit Marie Kondo and her, uh, you know, declutter your life craze for helping you out a little bit. People yeah, Marie Kondo was definitely a, a factor this year, but uh, the business has been growing very nicely for seven to eight years. And today I feel like reselling this sort of whole collaborative economy is really mainstream. Um, you know, we take car sharing, we live in shared homes when we travel, and we buy and sell clothes. Uh, and, and really, it has a pretty major impact in both the world of retail and sort of social uh, front. Uh, you're of, of some scale now, right? You're a, you're a billion-dollar company now, right? Uh, yeah, we did announce last year that we have distributed yeah. over a billion dollars to our seller stylists. Right. So talk to me then about growth, because as you know, it can be treacherous, scaling too fast. Look at Etsy is the example that everybody cites for, look, we've got these people who are doing these things and we're just the platform. Etsy has run into some trouble. Uh, yeah. And in the very early days, so back in 12, 13, we scaled too fast. And in those times, we had to really cut back our growth. But then we created a solid foundation. We have you know, invested in technology infrastructure, people infrastructure, shipping infrastructure, dispute management infrastructure. And so the business at this point is really powered by people and technology and continues to scale. We have, uh, as I just said, uh, expanded it to home decor. Mm -hmm. Uh, We expanded it uh, beyond women's fashion a few years back to men's and kids. uh, And we'll be broadening ourselves out to the international markets. We just took a small step in uh, in Canada and opened Hmm. up our uh, offices in Canada to serve that community. Who's your competition then? I mean, I'm thinking here of uh, The Real Real with Julie Wainwright, who just went public, right? Do you look at them and say, hmm... Sure. So I think a lot of reselling uh, marketplaces, including Real Real, are definitely part of our competition. They focus primarily on a very specific segment, which is luxury. We cater very broadly, uh, but then also sort of old uh, marketplaces like Amazon and eBay yeah. are indirectly competing with us. Uh, as well as uh, what you see is a lot of physical retail is now starting to either partner or get into the world of resale. There's a um there's a, a pop culture element of fashion that you sort of have to be on top of. Um, are you? You know, if you'd asked me that question 10 years back, I would have said probably no. Uh, today, very much so. In fact, um, you know, uh, sometimes I surprise even my grown-up kids in terms of how much I know about <laughs> stuff. So it's, it's pretty funny. There are people, much like, you know, I suppose there were on, on eBay back in the day, uh, there are people who make a full-time living doing this. Yes. Is so, that your intent? Uh, well, we very much wanted it to really disrupt, uh, sorry, reinvent the world of uh, fashion. So we have people now who are selling millions of dollars of uh, products on Poshmark and have created their own fashion labels. So we have fashion labels like Bella and Blue, Infinity Rain, It's Elaine, We're in L.A. Uh, and these are all great labels created by our community. Uh, and we also have a wholesale engine built into the platform where they can hmm. find other sellers to distribute their product, not just go directly. To consumer. Give me some numbers. How many, how many, I don't even know what you call them, members, users, sellers? We have 50 million users, 5 million seller stylists. Uh, the two things that are remarkable about the platform is that active users spend somewhere between 23 to 27 minutes a day uh, on the platform. Wow. There's obviously a significant overlap between buyers and sellers, and they're really distributed through the countries. Uh, we sort of serve 
almost 90% of the zip codes in, in the country, both hmm. buying and selling from those zip codes. I also read somewhere that people open this app like five or seven times a day. I mean, it's you're up there in, you know, Facebook and Instagram land. Sure. Yes, it is. It is very deeply engaging. People are opening the app five to seven times a day uh, and also uh, sort of uploading a lot of inventory. We have about $100 million worth of inventory uploaded every week. Uh, and um, what is uh, another sort of useful stat about the platform is that we are one of the largest customers of USPS. So our community uh-huh. ships uh, at a very significant rate across the country. We should say here, for the record, you don't hold any inventory, right? It's all your, your buyers and your sellers. Yes. The inventory yeah. goes direct from buyer to seller. Right. Uh, in case of high-end products, so when they are $500 and higher, we actually do receive the product. We authenticate it and send it on to the buyer. So we still don't hold inventory, although we touch product in that case. What are the risks then, the downside risks for this company? Um, so for us, the big thing uh, is overall just um, where are we going to grow? And so for us, it's about category expansion, geographical expansion, and certainly continue to grow within the country. Yeah. I could see, actually, and, and not to say a recession's coming or not coming, but um, I could see in a downturn that people would turn to this and say, you know what, I can make an extra couple of bucks selling out the inside of my closet. Yeah, people still have to, you know, wear clothes, decorate their homes, and we offer them an amazing alternative to not just buy, but to also sell so you can sort of keep the money in the system. Yeah. Uh, What's your worst nightmare then? Uh, My worst nightmare is really some sort of major uh, global war or something, you know, really uh, destructive that that takes takes a toll on the economy. Um, I also worry a lot about how do you scale a business living in Silicon Valley and scaling Mm -hmm. the team. Uh, We do have offices outside that, but bulk of our workforce is in Silicon Valley. Uh, Let me continue with that actually a little bit because it's an interesting dilemma to have workforce and labor force challenges in one of the most dynamic environments uh, on in the planet, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, we uh, we continue to invest in our team. We uh, continue to sort of grow it. One of the remarkable things about our team is that everyone who joined in the first few years of the company is still all here. In mm-hmm. fact, half my management team has worked with me for over 10 years. So we continue to partner and build with strong values and sort of strong partnership with our team because team is critical to delivering the experience we want to deliver to our community. Are you getting to that point where you're going to need access uh, to the capital markets and, and go public at some point? We certainly continue to explore all kinds of uh, capital uh, processes, uh, but no comment on that. How, how are you funded now? Uh, we, uh, we've raised about $160 billion right. in private funding. Uh, $160 billion with a uh, $160 million. Thank you. There we go. Because uh, yeah. that would have uh, been something. <laughs> could be these days. Yeah. Um, with uh, from investors you know, from Sandhill, uh, right. Mayfield, Menlo, as well as sort of some of the later stage investors like GGV and Tomasek. Right. Manish Chandra at uh, Poshmark, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. That was it. My conversation with Manish Chandra. He's the CEO and co-founder of Poshmark. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you choose to get your podcasts. Leave us a review while you're there. We actually read them, believe it or not. The Corner Office Podcast is produced by Bridget Bonder. This episode by Daisy Palacios. Marketplace is produced on the radio by Nancy Fargali. Satar Nieves is the Executive Director of On Demand. Deborah Clark is the Senior Vice President and General Manager. I'm Kai Rizdal. As always, another episode for you in just a couple of weeks. Thank you.